Hello. Welcome to Syracuse Speaks, The View from the AHL, a Syracuse Crunch-centric podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ackerman. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an episode that's being recorded kind of live. And what I mean by that is, as of right now, it's 448 on Sunday, April 16th. And Syracuse's playoff fate has not yet been decided. Most of you are probably aware that currently there is a game going on in the American Hockey League in their final day of the regular season against Rochester and Cleveland. Cleveland is out of the playoffs. Rochester is fighting for position in the playoffs. Because Syracuse got one point against Utica last night, That did allow Syracuse to clinch second place in the North Division, which means they'll have home ice for the first round. But third and fourth in the division is currently up for grabs. And who wins the Rochester-Cleveland game that is in the second intermission as we are speaking will determine who Syracuse plays. However, I need to get on with my life, and so do you all. I decided because of that to just sit down and record this in pieces as this information comes to us because it's almost five o'clock on a Sunday and I got to work tomorrow. So we're going to get this thing moving. It's good to be back after a couple weeks hiatus between things going on in my own life, the Easter holiday, spring break. And I figured looking at the schedule, it would make a lot more sense to hold off recording today so that I would actually have things to talk about, like the end of the season and playoffs, then to record last week or the week before when there wasn't as much to cover and a lot was still unknown. The last time we sat down together, there was very little known about where Syracuse was going to end, who they were going to play, what the North Division was going to turn out to be looking like at the end of everything. So We have all of that information now. We can talk about it. And hopefully, by the time I'm done recording this first segment and getting it edited and ready to go, I will be ready to record the second segment about Syracuse's second round, technically, but it'll be the first round that they play opponent. I guess we call it the first round, and then we call it the division semifinals, and then we call it the division finals, and then the conference finals. And then the league final, I guess that's sort of how it goes. But you all know, for the most part, what I mean. By ending in second place, Syracuse did avoid that best of three round one. So they are officially in the semifinals. They will play whomever drops into third place at the end of that Rochester-Cleveland game today. Turning our attention back to the regular season that just ended, the Crunch did, as I said, manage to scrape a second-place finish this season with a 35-26-7-4 record, good for 81 points in the North Division. Just for a little bit of comparison, because I don't know about you, Crunch fans, but when I saw that it was 81 points, that seemed really low to me. And I'll be totally honest with you, even for a season that is missing four games compared to the last decade or so of crunch games, which have had 
76 games. This past season, everybody in the league went to 72 games. There was a lot of concessions that happened with the Central Division and the Pacific Division, the Pacific Division in particular, to get everybody in the league playing the same amount of 72 games all season. Those in the Eastern Conference, like Syracuse, ended up having to lose two home games and two away games in their schedule in order to do that. So even with taking into account those four games, which is technically at two points each, that would have been eight potential points that could have been on the table for the crunch. 81 points is still very low. I'm going to talk about this in a future podcast where I have a really important question that I can't wait to discuss with you all. But just for a really brief comparison, over in the Atlantic Division, which in my opinion, and in a lot of other people's opinions too, was a lot more competitive than the North Division this season, the Providence Bruins are in second place, and they have 96 points over in the Atlantic. The Charlotte Checkers in third place have 86. The Springfield Thunderbirds have 84. You don't get to 81 points in 72 games over in the Atlantic until you get to fifth place Hartford with 81. And then rounding out their playoff field, there is sixth place Lehigh Valley with 80. So 81 points is low. And, you know, the North Division as a whole, it was very interesting because it seemed like the North Division this season all of the teams suffered from the same things. They all suffered from inconsistency. And I think those low point totals show that because they all had these extensive losing streaks at really terrible times against each other. And they all had moments of horrible inconsistency in play. And they all had moments where the goaltending was sketchy. And they all had moments where it just seemed like the North Division was fighting itself more than each other, if that makes sense. And and I have to admit, it probably doesn't. But it was just a really weird season for the North. And given that, it's not really a surprise that the end of everything has pretty much come down to this photo finish where Syracuse's seating wasn't figured out until their last game of the regular season. Rochester seating isn't being figured out until their last game of the regular season. Utica seating is now up to the mercy of the Rochester-Cleveland result. Laval seating was locked in, I think, Friday, uh, the the second, you know, the, the third to the last night of the regular season. Like, it's it, this has been nuts. <laughs> this this season in the North. But focusing in back on Syracuse. Syracuse's season was tough. You know, I think it's it's really challenging for me to even wrap my mind around the crunch, not only being a playoff team, but finishing in second place because it just didn't feel like the performance should have merited that type of a placement. But again, when you have a season where the North Division is relatively weak, I guess it makes sense. Syracuse's end to their season was anticlimactic, which is probably also contributing to how I'm feeling 
right now. And, you know, obviously, I hope I'm not alone in feeling a little bit puzzled by how we got here and not having any clue how Syracuse is going to do in the playoffs. Syracuse's previous 10 record, they won five games, they lost two games in regulation, two games in overtime, and one game in a shootout. They obviously won more games than they lost, which is great, but if you take into consideration the amount of overtime losses and shootout losses, they actually didn't. So that is probably one of the reasons why that 81 points feels so low, because there were 11 games, seven losses in overtime, four losses in the shootout, where the crunch could have gotten two points instead of one. And those 22 points would have definitely put Syracuse's total points up closer to where we are used to seeing crunch teams who make the playoffs be at. So Syracuse definitely benefited from that loser point, but it also, that loser point also made the standings really complicated and everything really close. Because honestly, looking at the other teams in the North Division that are around Syracuse, they have very, very similar numbers. Utica lost six games in overtime and four games in the shootout. Rochester, assuming that their game does not go to overtime, which currently Rochester is still holding a two-to-one lead over Cleveland. Rochester lost six games in overtime, three games in the shootout. Laval, seven games to three games, overtime shootout. Cleveland, five to two, and Belleville, six to four. Only Toronto, which has led the, the division for most of the season and did end up clinching you know, the, the, the first place in the North, has four overtime losses and two shootout losses, the least in the division. So as a whole, even that alone, the fact that so many of these games in the North, that chances are were against each other, a lot of Syracuse's overtime and shootout losses were against Rochester and Utica, especially recently. Like how many times last week and the week before did games need extra hockey to be figured out? You know, I just seem like it just seems like these teams were weird copies of each other this past season. And I keep coming back to this as I'm looking at everything. And it's just really strange as as to how it all worked out. The Crunch obviously did have some fantastic performances in the regular season. And one of the things that was a little concerning in about the middle of the season, January, February-ish, was the disparity in scoring between Syracuse's like top two performers and the rest of the roster. In some ways, that disparity did shrink as the season went on, as players returned from injury, as they got more comfortable with their line mates. But it just seemed like that 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 Ben grew effect that we're so used to having in Syracuse with 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 Grew coach teams didn't quite happen this season and it didn't quite result in the consistency and the the overall confidence that it normally does 
which which is going to feed into the question that I'm going to ask on whatever podcast episode we land on once Syracuse's playoffs have come to their inevitable end. Because the thing is, is even if Syracuse makes it out of the North Division, I don't think anybody from the North Division is making it out of the uh, conference finals. I think it's going to be all Atlantic all of the way. But I'm generally not good with speculation, so we'll lay that aside for now. Back to the performances. At the top of the list, not really a surprise considering how many times his name is now inscribed in Syracuse's record books was Alex Bariboulet. In 69 games played with the team, so he played almost the entire season. Again, the entire season is 72 games, so he was pretty close. He had 24 goals, 60 assists for 84 points. He had seven power play goals, and he was the backbone of Syracuse's offense. That's I'm kind of giggling because that's sort of the understatement of the century. He definitely is one of the main reasons why Syracuse is currently in the playoffs. And there's a good reason why his name is also now currently all over Syracuse's record books. Um, He actually just earned another one last night. I don't remember what it was. I think it was points leader or something. He's got a lot of Syracuse's scoring records now in the organization's history for good reason. Following up with that, we have that 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 <laughs> gap that you're going to get when you have someone that's such a prolific scorer, and then you have the rest of the team. So next up for scoring in the regular season was Simon Ryfors. He was one of Syracuse's Iron Men. He was the only player. Yep. Okay. The only player to play in all of Syracuse's 72 games this season. He ended the season with set 27 goals, 32 assists, and 59 points. He also had seven power play goals as well. So he was Syracuse's second most potent offensive player on the team. Right behind him was Gage Gonsalves with 54 points, 13 goals, 41 assists, two power play goals. Behind him was Darren Radish, who, had he remained in Syracuse, would have been much higher than this. But in 50 games played before he was recalled, he had 13 goals, 38 assists, 51 points, and one power play goal. Trevor Carrick clocked in at number five on the team in scoring, 51 goals, 31 assists, 46 points, four power play goals. Then things start to drop off relatively quickly. Uh, Captain Dumont, the uh, non-rostered anymore, Jamel Smith, Felix Robert, and Daniel Walcott all landed in the 30s when it comes to point totals. Philip Myers with only 52 games, Lucas Edmonds, Declan Carlisle, Jack Thompson, Jack Finley ended in the 20s for point totals, and then it goes down from there. Over on the goaltending side of things, um, nobody fared super well. And what's really weird is that going by results, it was one of those years where there was no clear number one in Syracuse, but that wasn't necessarily because of performance. All of Syracuse's goaltenders either suffered from injuries at opposite times, 
long suspensions in the case of Jack LaFontaine at one point, and just a general weakness in the team's defense that really didn't help at all. Uh, Veteran Max Legacy, who was assumed to be the team's number one going into the season, ended with a 17-12 and, well, yeah, it's weird how they do goalie scores. Anyways, 17-12 record with eight overtime losses, I guess. And Hugo Elnefelt, who was the rookie, also ended with a 17-12 and record and two overtime losses. So almost identical performances. Goals against averages tell a little bit of a different story. Legacy ends with 3.34 goals against average for the season. So basically what that says is he let in about three and a half goals on average every game this past season. And one of the things that I really think hurt Legacy is his lack of rebound control and the fact that Syracuse's defense wasn't always in an opportune position to help him with those rebounds. I also know that he played a lot of the season hurt, and I'm still not entirely convinced that he's fully healthy. Um, I I have to talk like this because if I don't, I start to slowly panic about the upcoming playoffs. So if I sound flippant, it's because I have to be. Uh, moving on over to Elnefelt, he ended the season with a 2.77 goals against average. So he let in less goals per game, but not hugely so with averaging about three, two and three quarters goals every game. Uh, save percentage, he had a better, um, Elnefelt also had a better save percentage at 0.904. So he saved almost a goal per game. I guess that's what that means. I don't know, goalie's stats are strange. But, you know, where Max Legacy had a .888 save percentage for the whole season. So it was not great. Um, Yeah, so... Save percentage, yeah, percentage of saves a goalie makes to the number of shots made on the goal. And Syracuse had a high, it felt like anyways, a high number of shots per game this past season. It just seemed like, again, that defense um, really, really, really was tough. It didn't help their goalies at all. So... It was a tough slate, and the playoffs are going to prove an interesting challenge. It will be – I have no idea which goalie the coaching staff is going to go with. I have no idea which one is more healthy. I still think Legacy is fighting an injury somewhere along the way. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Rounding out the season talk with just some really quick – special teams discussion. Syracuse was sixth in the North Division for power play at 18.8%. So they had a power play that scored a little bit under 20% of the time, which um, not ideal. 
Uh, I think that special teams work is definitely going to be something that needs to get a good, a good look at. Uh, I believe, you know, Trevor Carrick was supposed to be a really good power play quarterback defenseman that could really lead the charge and, and maybe Syracuse's power play percentage would have been a little bit better if Carrick wouldn't have been injured. He was out for quite a bit, but it also can't just be up to him. Uh, Barry Boulay obviously was also really potent on Syracuse's power play, but that wasn't something that picked up until the end of the season. So, you know, I think next year that might be something to really take a good look at is what's going on with Syracuse's special teams. The team's penalty kill was slightly better (laughs) than the power play unit. Uh, The penalty kill clocked in at about an 80% success rate. So 80% of the penalty kills that they did were successful and the other team did not score, which was useful, uh, mostly because when we look at penalty minutes, uh, Syracuse was the second most penalized team in the North Division with 1,086 penalty minutes. So the power play... Uh, didn't often get a chance to shine because Syracuse was on the penalty kill so much. Uh, oh, it's Again, it's not funny, but it kind of is. Um, obviously, playoffs are generally not kind to teams that take a lot of penalties. It will be very interesting to see where that goes, but... That is just a really brief overview of Syracuse's 2022-23 season. And next up, we will take a look at Syracuse's what will be their first round of play, the North Division semifinals. All right, y'all, I'm taking a chance because I just want to get this done. We'll see if you'll actually end up hearing this part because if this score changes at any point in the next uh, 11 minutes and 49 seconds towards Cleveland, I will need to re-record this entire section, which will make me very sad. But as I said... It's 5.13 at night at this point in time, and I would like to get on with my life. So we are assuming (laughs) right now Rochester is leading Cleveland 3-1 to with a little above halfway to go in the third period. So I am going to assume, perhaps dangerously so, that Rochester is indeed going to succeed and that they will reclaim third place in the North division right now. uh, I almost freaked out because I forgot that for my last segment, I had it on penalty minutes and I was like, wait, Laval's not in third. What's happening now? Okay. Sorry. We fixed it right now. Utica based on their two points that they got Saturday night in Syracuse is sitting in third with Rochester at one point behind them in fourth. 
So if that score in the Rochester and Cleveland game holds, which I'm, I'm going to take a gamble and say that it's going to, Rochester will then slip back into third place and they will be Syracuse's opponent for the North Division semifinal. Now, I am I actually joke with um with a couple of people about how impossible it is to explain how the AHL does playoff seating and rounds verbally because it's it's real hard. So, we're just going to focus on how these rounds go and who plays in them. So you have that best of three, which is technically called round one, although it's not really because you generally play two rounds at once, but whatever. So you're in the North division only, your fourth and your fifth place team play a best of three. The winner of that plays first place, which in this case will be Toronto. So while all of this is going on, Toronto is just like chilling. I mean, this is a great time of year to be in Toronto. I visited Toronto over Memorial Day a couple of years ago, and it was gorgeous. So good for them, I guess. Like, they're just hanging out. So while the rest of the North Division is playing hockey, getting injured, and having their players called up because some of us hmm, still have parent clubs in the playoffs, uh, they just get to chill. So fourth and fifth place, which will probably be Utica and Laval at this point in time, will be playing a best of three. So first team in that round to two victories will play Toronto at some point in time. Then we get to the important stuff, right? So we have second place and third place, which will probably be Syracuse and Rochester. They will be playing a best of five round. Because Syracuse has home ice advantage, three of the five games will be in Syracuse. So you have the the three home games because it's a best of five. So there's five total games, three home games versus two in Rochester. Now, as far as Syracuse goes, we already have the dates for those games. They will be Friday the 21st, Saturday the 22nd. And if needed, Friday, May 5th, which even for this round, to me, seems a little far. Uh, I feel like this is very stretched out. However, what that distance does is it allows Syracuse's opponent, which I'm assuming will be Rochester, uh, the score is still 3-1, Rochester with about nine minutes to go in the third at this point in time. It allows them to get some weekend games in for the playoffs, which the playoffs, you know, are are kind of a complicated thing in the American Hockey League when it comes to revenue and player revenue and where the money goes. But we all know that the American Hockey League is a weekend league. Having playoff games on Tuesday or Wednesday in the middle of a week or even on a Sunday that doesn't really benefit teams because people don't come out for weekday AHL games in general. It's very different from the National Hockey League. And I think that it has a lot to do with the cities that the 
teams are in. I think it has a lot to do with the demographics of a lot of these teams. Syracuse plays in a blue collar city with a majority of their fans also being blue collar fans. They have jobs that have night shifts. They work weekends. They work evenings. They work long hours during the day. Some people I know commute, you know, it, it, it is also a very different situation from the NHL in that aspect where I feel like nobody is driving into New York City on a Friday night when there's plenty of other things to do on Long Island or whatever. I don't know. I live upstate. Don't yell at me. But like, you know, for, for a Rangers game, people will commute into Syracuse for games. I commute into Syracuse for games all the time. I live 50 minutes away from Syracuse and I work almost a full hour and a half away from Syracuse. So there's a lot of people that commute for these games. Playoff games on off nights are really hard to sell tickets for and they're really hard to get people in the building. Syracuse has historically, they will work for it. Syracuse's front office, the ticket staff, the, the account executives, they will work really hard to pack these buildings no matter the nights of the week. But anytime you can give American Hockey League teams weekend playoff spots, Friday and Saturday, definitely preferred. So even though this seems like a really long period for a best of five, it gives both teams shots at the weekend which I think is is pretty much what is being looked at right now. So it's understandable. Syracuse, you know, this I, I think it would have been a tough series whether it was Rochester or Utica. Uh, this afternoon, I threw up a random poll on my Field Pass Hockey Twitter at FPH Crunch and just said like, okay, who do you, who would you all prefer? For this round, you know, do you want Utica or Rochester? And obviously, I couldn't ask follow-up questions like, do you think that Syracuse would fare better against your pick? Or do you just want to see it because of the rivalry? Like there weren't, there's no room for that on on Twitter. This isn't like a survey. So 58.3% of people wanted to see Utica as Syracuse's North Division semifinalist opponent. 41.7% wanted to see. Rochester. So I am sorry to report that I'm assuming the majority of you are going to be disappointed because it definitely looks like Rochester is going to end up being Syracuse's opponent. So, you know, I am sorry for that, but I think Syracuse was going to have a tough go of it, whichever team they played. Those are two of Syracuse's biggest rivalries in the North. You know, the Utica rivalry, I think, has eclipsed the Rochester rivalry in the past decade or so just because of the level of nastiness and immaturity that seems to float around it. But overall, you know, there's still really big rivalries. And Rochester has actually given Syracuse a much bigger run for its money this season than Utica did. So Syracuse did win the season series against Rochester with a 6-5-1-0 record. So they won it, but not by a ton. 
their record against Utica ended with an 8-3-2-1 record. So overall, if you're looking at the entirety of the season, Syracuse had more success against Utica than they did against Rochester. That's a little bit of a different situation than the last couple of times that Syracuse has played Rochester in the playoffs. So that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on is just how the team responds as they play a team that, you know, gave them a run for their money all season long. As I alluded to earlier, the other side of this is just the sheer fact that (laughs) Syracuse has a parent club that is still in playoffs. The Tampa Bay Lightning is very much still alive and um, they will be playing Toronto in their first round. The first time somebody goes down up there, uh, Syracuse will see a call up. Not only that, but there was some talk of calling up like Philippe Myers, like similar to what they did with uh, Nash Riley, Riley Nash. All I could think of was Rick Nash. I went back to my, I flashed back to our Columbus Blue Jacket days, everybody, and it was terrible. Uh, Riley Nash (laughs) last season where, you know, it would have been great if Syracuse had him for the playoffs, but the Lightning called him up as insurance and Syracuse lost that, you know, Nash's expertise. There's been some talk that, the Lightning might do the same thing with Myers. I sure hope they don't because they still have Darren Radish. And as I spoke to earlier, Syracuse's defense is not super strong. Myers has showed a real good, a real nice scoring touch lately, which is great. But I honestly think that Syracuse's goaltenders could use a little bit of help beyond that. Regardless, You know, the flip side of this is that Buffalo Sabres, Rochester's parent club, not in the playoffs, and should the Lightning fall out of the playoffs, most accounts have them as the underdogs right now with Toronto being the more popular or the more talented team. Should Tampa fall out, Syracuse gets Darren Radish back, but nobody else. In the past, when Syracuse has done really well in the playoffs and gone really far, they got many more players back than just one defenseman when the Lightning were done or when they fell out of the playoffs. Now, granted, that one defenseman would probably have fought Barry Boulay for leading the team in scoring for most of the season had he been with the crunch that whole time. So I'm not knocking Radish, and I definitely think that his presence could help the crunch. But it's just not going to be a ton of advantages for Syracuse should that actually happen and the lightning fall off and the crunch actually manage to get someone back. So, you know, that's also kind of in the background of all of this. And that's the reality of AHL playoffs, right? Like, this is what we go through every single season. And especially... With the Lightning, last time the Lightning weren't in the playoffs was 2017. 
Last time the crunch went really deep into the playoffs was 2017. It's not a coincidence. This is reality. It's really challenging to go deep into the playoffs when your parent club is still in their own playoffs. So that is absolutely going to be a factor for Syracuse for as long as the Lightning continue to play as well. So that will also be something to be keeping an eye on. <laughs> you all don't know it, but it's now five minutes later. <laughs> and uh, we have an opponent, my friends. My gamble paid off. As predicted, Syracuse's first round opponent will indeed be Rochester. So thankfully, everything I just recorded gets to stay. And it's confirmed. And... Everything is set. We now know what is going to happen with the next couple of weeks. And, you know, again, I am not, uh, you know what? No, I'm not going to say that. All I'm going to say is just that here we are, playoffs again. It's. It's um, it's going to be a series, I'm sure. And rivalry ahoy. Here we go. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with me. As of right now, the next day that I should be recording will be April 30th, which is my usual two weeks from now. And by then, Syracuse will have played the majority of their series against Rochester. Uh, based on my life schedule coming up, I just don't think I'm going to be able to record on the 23rd. I have some pretty important things that I have to be taking care of, and I'm approaching graduation. Not that any of you care, but my CAS degree program is almost done. I'm in the midst of job hunting. Things are really heating up there. So I am not entirely confident I will be able to be with you next Sunday in the podcast, but I will definitely be with you in the War Memorial and in spirit. And seeing as we are at the end of the regular season, I really want to thank you all for coming on this crazy ride with me all season long. This is the fifth season of this podcast, and I couldn't be more proud of the amount of listeners that have hopped on a board with us this season and the things we've been able to talk about and the guests I've been able to have on. So thank you all so much. And here's to what's next. Hopefully when I talk to you all again on April 30th, it will be with a team that's either done with the final round or probably staring down a elimination game, which if you all know me personally, you know how much I love those. So we won't think about that right now. Again, much gratitude to you all. Stay safe out there. And I will see you all on Friday for playoff hockey. Here we go. I 
I think that will do it for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm open to interactions and feedback, so please feel free to get in touch with me over Twitter. My hockey Twitter is FPHCrunch, F-P-H-C-R-U-N-C-H, and my personal Twitter is Alovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O. My personal Twitter is protected, but if you want to send me a follow request and I can see that you're a hockey person, I would be more than happy to go ahead and add you over there. Before we go, I'd also like to thank Purple Planet Music and Kevin McLeod for providing the royalty-free music heard in this episode. Keep taking care of each other out there in Crunchland, and I will see you next time. Thank you.